Um, so we're starting in Genesis, uh, and I, I'm really excited about the book, a little bit overwhelmed as we get into it. Um, today we're going to do just a little bit of preview and kind of big picture, and then we're going to dive into all of chapter one. Lord willing, we'll be able to get through chapter one. So what I wanted to start with was kind of the big picture. You know how sometimes it's easier to see uh, if you take a step back, if you're going to, again, let's say, do a jigsaw puzzle, you want that frame or you look at the box so you can see what you're dealing with versus each individual piece. We're going to get into the individual pieces, but for right now at the beginning of this, before we dive into chapter one, I want to take kind of a look at the big picture of the book of Genesis. And so with that, the author is Moses. And some people, which I think is a great question, would say, so how in the world did Moses get this information about creation and all these things? There's two main ideas. And one is that Adam and Eve had this information and passed it down generation to generation to generation and gave it to Moses. And the other, which I think these are both great theories or ideas, possibilities, is that God just revealed it to Moses and God uh, illuminated Moses's heart and mind and revealed these things to him in some kind of supernatural way. And so those are two, I think, good questions to ask ourselves as we look at scriptures. Like, how did this even come about that Moses would have this kind of information? He wasn't there when the world was created. Those are the two really good ideas of how it possibly happened. Again, just kind of speaking to the general idea of the book, uh, this book reveals God's nature, God's character, especially in chapter one. You can just see uh, if you had never heard anything else about God, about Yahweh, and you read chapter one, you all of a sudden, you, uh, I'm not going to get into that. You would all of a sudden begin to get a picture of who God is. And so it reveals his nature, his character, and that he's sovereign. What does sovereign mean? I say God is sovereign. I'm going to say that quite a bit today. What does that mean that he's sovereign? Supreme. What does it mean if a nation is sovereign? They make their own rules, right? No one else rules over them. They are distinct and separate from everything else. In the sense that God is sovereign, he's distinct and separate and no one gives him rules in all of creation. We talk about nations and they kind of have to work together, figure this out. And we say they're sovereign, but they're not really sovereign. God alone is completely sovereign. And we see that in the book. Um, and we're going to see over and over his blessing on mankind, how he continues to work to bless man, man, mankind, despite the fact that men keep being disobedient, intolerant. In just a minute, we're going to look through a, kind of like a summary of the stories in Genesis. And if you're even familiar with the Bible a little bit, you'll be able to go, oh, that story, men messed things up. God made it better. Oh, that story, men messed things up. God made it better. Oh, that story. We're going to see that over and over and over. God is benevolent. God is kind. God is gracious. At the same time, he doesn't tolerate sin. Just take the flood example, which is in Genesis. He's kind. He's generous, he's gracious, he's merciful, but he's not going to put up with sin. We can see that. Uh, and so that's really clear in the book. And that he continues, like I said, even though men mess things up, and I say men, I mean mankind, men and women mess things up. 
uh, he continues to look for ways to bless and reestablish and rebuild and reconnect with people who are rebelling against him. So if we kind of divided the book up, you know, kind of how you divide a book up into two big halves or two big chunks, and you open a book and you can kind of picture two different sides of it. Uh, the first part, chapters one through 11, is the beginning of the human race. And the second part, it's not necessarily the half, it's more than half, but the second part is the beginning of the chosen race or the Jewish people. And most of the Bible is a story about God being faithful to his Jewish people. If you really step back, you can look and see that the Gentiles kind of get plugged into it or grafted in to this Jewish story. But all through chapters 12 to 50, you can begin to see where he starts establishing that he's going to bless this particular people. So Genesis is really important foundation for the rest of the Bible because it sets the tone that God picked this group of people. God's going to work through this chosen group of people. He's going to bless the whole world. And Genesis sets up that. It's a book of beginnings. All through the book, you see a book of beginnings, the book, beginning of marriage, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of a nation, uh, the re-beginning of the world. You're going to see beginnings, beginnings, beginnings through this. So it's the beginning of the human race and of the chosen race. And then if we break it up again into those two chunks, and this is where I said you can begin to see how God does something good, men mess it up. God does something good, men mess it up. So creation, God did something good, men messed it up. Through the fall and the flood, same thing. All the nations that God built up, brought together. You can think of even uh, the Tower of Babel, that kind of thing. Men started to do their own thing. Uh, and then we see in chapter 12, God speaks out to a man, Abram, and makes a promise to him. And that's the beginning of the Jewish nation. And uh, I'm going to take my time with this because really, if we don't get through it, we have so few people here, it probably wouldn't hurt to redo this whole message next Sunday. Uh, I'm not saying that so I can recycle a message, but let's just ask real quick. What do you guys, I'm going to ask him to ask each of these people, can you tell me one thing you know about Abraham? One thing we know about Abraham. He had his name changed. Good. Any other things? Real quick. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God did all these things and said, I'm going to protect you. And then all of a sudden he got scared, kind of chickened out and said, uh, kind of tried to pawn off his wife as his sister. What do we know about Isaac? Anything you know about Isaac? Whose son was he? Abraham's? What, else, what do we know about? He had a brother. Anyone know his brother's name? Ishmael. We'll get to this, but most people would agree that through Isaac comes the Jewish race. Through Ishmael come all the Arab, Muslim, the two groups that war at each other is essentially a battle between Isaac and Ishmael's yeah, descendants. Anything else about Isaac? Anyone remember what Abraham was going to do? He was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Um, Jacob, what do we know about Jacob? Anything you know about Jacob? He had a dream. I can think of a couple other biggies. The worm? I think he did, yeah. Yeah. He wrestled with God. 
You remember what happened when he walked away from that wrestling match? He had a limp, yeah. Oh, hip hip problem for the rest of his life. Um, does anyone know about what his brother's name was? Esau, that's right. That's right. Esau was the one who had the birthright, but then Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob, does anyone other know his other name? Israel, that's right. So Jacob is Israel. Um, and then... Joseph, what do we know about Joseph? There's a lot of chapters about Joseph in, in Genesis 27 to 50. Almost half of the book is about Joseph. Coat of many colors, yeah. Children, lots of children's uh, story, children's church stories. They're not children's stories. They're for us. But a lot of times you hear these. He was sold into slavery. What else? Brothers tried to kill him. That's right. They were jealous of that coat of many colors and the way his dad treated him. Pharaoh's wife tried to seduce him. Oh, yeah. You're sorry. Thank you. Uh, Potiphar's wife. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. What's that? He ended up in jail. Forgave his brothers. He uh, was an interpreter of dreams, right? He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He was used to save all of the people. And so in him, we see a picture of Jesus Christ as a savior. Um, so you guys got an idea of the book, but you can begin to see here through these stories. Book of Genesis is a book of God being kind, God being generous, God being merciful, God being in control, and men continuing to mess it up. So I came up with what I'm going to call our catchphrase or kind of like the big idea of the book is God's grace, the cure for our corruption. I feel like you continue to see man's corruption, whether it's the brothers trying to kill Joseph and God continues to be gracious and do a work through it. You continue to see God makes um, man and woman and gives them the world to rule over and they mess it up. And yet he continues to show grace on them. So over and over and over, we see God does something good. Man corrupts it. God gives his grace. You with me? feel like you kind of got a big picture of the book now. All of a sudden, you kind of go like, okay, now I can kind of see, uh, kind of get my bearings for the book. So today we're going to cover, Lord willing, Genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning of chapter 2. And so I want to start by just asking a couple quick questions. We've already asked quite a few questions, so I'm not going to take too much time on this. But what in nature or creation amazes you most and why? Just real quick. We all have different answers probably. What's that? One thing. Only one. That was the one that came to my mind. The, the creation or the co-creation of children, like children going from cells in two individual bodies to becoming a human with a personality. And I mean, it's just amazing. What else? Okay, such order to it. Yeah, yeah. The internal, okay, yeah. 
animals. You look around. I mean, Evie and I went to the zoo a few months ago. And you just look at the diversity of animals and the amazing creativity. If you had to come up with something out of nothing and come up with so many colors for animals and so many shapes and sizes and types, and it's amazing. You just look at it, animals are amazing. The sky is amazing. Plants are amazing. We're seeing all that in chapter one and how are we going to cover all that? But that's amazing, isn't it? Were you going to say something? Our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's after the fall even. God designed us incredibly intricate. Um, what kind of things make people angry at God and or make them question his goodness? Illness, death. Natural disasters. Wrong expectations. Oh, what seems, yeah, injustice. You kind of think, how can those people get away with that? How come bad people are allowed to prosper? Okay. We're going to see today that's not God's design. In what ways are we victims of nature or creation? Just named a few. But what, what ways are we victims I'm using kind of air quotes here, victims. Uh, diseases, said it, illness, natural disaster. I started thinking about this and I'll tie it in later. But if you think about it, essentially, we are complete victims to nature or creation at this point, even each other. Like, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of other humans. Other created beings. We're afraid of diseases that have entered now entered into our world. I'll make this point later, but that's not how God designed it. He designed it flip-flopped. He designed for us to rule over creation, and now it's been flipped on its head to where now we're running around scared of all these things that are in the world around us, and God did not design it to be like that. So kind of a preview so why would anyone be allowed to be mad at God? God's not the one who messed this all up. He designed it good. He never designed for us to be a victim of illness or each other or any of those things. He designed the world good. All right, so today in particular, the, the big idea is the sovereignty and grace of God are revealed in his creation. So we're going to be going through the creation account. And I'm just going to say, there's so much science in this that I am not going to be able to cover. I'm going to highlight a couple things with some ideas. I don't have hard answers to any of these things, but I'm just going to kind of give you food for thought, give you a few different things to think about. I don't want to zoom super uh, detailed in trying to answer questions about fossils or any of those things. We'll kind of just make some general statements, but people argue for hundreds of years primarily hundreds of years before that there, it was a lot more accepted but for hundreds of years people have been arguing over this i'm not going to try and settle it here we're going to look at some of things but i, I do want to kind of talk about some of the quote-unquote science of this passage but we're going to primarily focus on this idea okay i'm going to have folks help me read uh if you would 
Um, the passage will be up there if you would like to read. I'd appreciate it. So I'll explain this in a minute, but I believe verses 1 and 2, there are some different theories about verses 1 and 2. But I believe that they are a summary statement of the creation story. I'll explain that in a minute. Who would, who would like to read that real quick? What's your name? Levante. I know we've, we've met before, right? We've never met. Oh, well, thank you for volunteering to read. For some reason, I thought we'd met. Okay, so we could go into a lot of observations about this, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and then it says the earth was void. So there's a few different things that uh, I'm going to explain this so you don't feel like you need to read it. That's probably there more for me than for you. In this, there's a couple different ideas. And one is they, people will look at this and go, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and said it was void. So one is this old earth creation idea. And that is that there's the six days of creation are uh, days, which we're going to get into and see. And that was the first day. That was the second day. That was the third day. Sometimes in scripture, it's just at the age for a period of time. So some people say for the first day, it was a period of time. So it gives them the people that really have. Evolution happened in that first period of time. It was not a twenty-four-hour day. It's a period of time that God uh, a fish drink drink time. That's good. That's good. of this i just want you to hear it because here's what happens a lot of times even for me as a pastor i'll be talking with someone and i have my idea of what it is and they're talking about these kinds of things and i'm like i'm confused but it's typically one of these theories or ideas where they've kind of brought evolution in and merged it with 
uh, the idea or like Satan came in and messed things up. And there is some biblical merit to those arguments. I'm not going to go, nope, that's insane. That stuff's totally wrong. I don't know how they could get there. But what I believe, and I'll explain why, is that God created the world and the universe in six literal 24-hour days. I believe that in, maybe it wasn't 24 hours, but that, whatever it is, that period of time, a literal day. And here's why I believe uh, it's important to, to see it that way. Again, all these people and even some of the Big Bang people, we hear Big Bang and we're like, oh, okay. A lot of people will fit Big Bang into this and say the Big Bang was when God created everything and then he started shaping it out of this stuff. He banged into existence. So there's all kinds of variations in this. I personally don't believe that. I believe verse 1 and 2 is saying God says everything was out. Uh, he created everything. And then the rest of the chapter gives the explanation of that. That's what I believe. And here's why I don't like merging these ideas. I think a lot of times what happens, I say when interpreting scripture, it's important to try not to make the Bible fit into our understanding of things like science. or Because then what happens is you, you go, well, probably wasn't a 24-hour day. It was probably a billion years was one age. The first day was probably a billion years. Okay, then if you're not going to be literal about that, then are you literal about Jesus raising from the dead? Are you going to be literal about them crossing the Red Sea? Or did they really cross on a marsh? That's what some people say. Are you going to be literal about Jesus healing a leper? Well, really, there was a lot of... I feel like once you start trying to do that and explain away and try and like merge science in with scripture, you've all of a sudden made science trump scripture. Now scripture has to answer to science. I don't think that's the way to go. I do understand how people get here. I'm not going to sit here and argue with someone uh, about this stuff. I'll be like, okay, I can see how you got there. But I want to just kind of start this out because people will get hung up. And I don't know, Ned, if you can remember one fellow we had in church years ago here, uh, they would get so hung up on this. You, can you know who I'm talking about? Okay. We get so hung up on this that essentially what it did was it started having them question God and question God. So I know that this stuff, I want to spend some time on it because I know as people run into these things, it can cause uh, doubts. It can cause trouble. Does this make sense, what I'm explaining here? And some people are like, that's just a bunch of nerdy stuff. Just get on with the Bible passage. I get it. It is kind of nerdy stuff, but it's important for us to understand what are some of the ideas out there. I believe in a literal 24-hour creation. I can see where some of the other arguments come. And I think the danger in trying to do that is trying to make science, uh, make the Bible fit science. And I if you haven't learned anything in the past few years, and I'm, this might sound political, but you can't trust the science that a lot of people are putting out there as science right now. Okay, you just can't. Next point. 
I believe here's where my heart is in this passage. That is kind of a, like nerdy, brainy argument stuff. But I believe scripture is trying to make this point really clear right in the first few verses of the Bible. And that God is altogether distinct. Like we said, sovereign from his creation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The spirit of God was hovering over the face. Just from this passage, we can see that God had already existed. He's self-existent. He's eternal. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything to sustain him. He didn't need an atmosphere. He didn't need some trees to produce oxygen. He didn't need some animals to eat. He didn't need a place to rest. He was there in the beginning. That's God. In the beginning, God was already there. We need things uh, to create. Like he didn't even need he brought something out of nothing. We need materials. Even the most creative person in here, whether it's working with metal or working with paint or working with computer something, uh, we all need something to create. And we usually take inspiration from other people. God didn't need any of that. If you think of even some of the gods that have been people have created, it's usually taking an idea from nature or an idea from an animal and merging it together. God needs nothing of that. So we've talked about this before, and this isn't in the Bible, but I think it's a good way to look at it, is this idea of twoism or oneism. And the idea of twoism says that God is outside of his creation. He is on a completely different plane than everyone, everything. He's sovereign. Nothing rules him. The other is oneism, which is kind of a lot of different ideas in the world kind of fall under this oneism. And it's essentially that creation is the divine thing. And if we really get enlightened, then we can see that we are divine. And this is kind of like stuff like the universe within you. You hold the, all the answers are inside of you. If you look inside and dig down deep, you'll have the power. And, in, you know, and we have these little things, you know, we'll say, uh, inspire belief, faith, and it's just these ambiguous things, and it's kind of like supposed to be oneness with ourself and oneness with the world. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there's God and there's his creation, and they are distinct and they are separate. You see that right off the bat here in these verses. God was, and he created some stuff. Day one, light and dark, day and night. I don't want to read this. All right. So already we see God creating here. Let there be light. This is kind of a tricky thing against kind of the nerdy sciencey stuff. Uh, but I think it's a lot of reason why people sometimes question scripture. We're going to see that there's this light, but he has not yet got to, we're going to get to the point where he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. But yet there's light. You're kind of like, how did he make light? And there's a couple different ideas. One is that it's the Shekinah glory or the radiance of God. And we see in Revelation that it says in the new heavens, the new earth, there will be no sun, but it's going to be lit and lit up. And so maybe it's just God revealing his radiance or releasing his radiance in the form of light. I have no exact idea. Some people say 
that maybe God created the sun on the first day. I don't think that's true, but then that the light wasn't really visible of it. And the other is that uh, he kind of created them and then he gave them their function. I think it's this, that he just allowed somehow his, the light from him, just like is going to happen, talks about in Revelation 22, he will light things up without a sun. People try and throw you that question. You can kind of go, well, it says the same thing's going to happen in, in Revelation. Um, and then it says that he says it's good. We're going to see that over and over and over. I feel like when you're interpreting scripture and you're reading the Bible and you're like, what is this trying to say? Look for words or ideas that are repeated over and over and over in this first chapter here. It is good. It is good. It's good. He said it's good. So we immediately begin to see this idea that God created things. And he made them good. Now, a lot of times when I'm trying to prepare a message, I go into like, what would a biblical counseling point of this passage be? How does this apply to people's problems? And here's how this applies to people's problems. A lot of times people will want to be mad at God, be disappointed in God, be questioning God. Because things aren't good right now. Things stink. Things are difficult. Things are painful. Things are broken. And we need people to see that's not God who did that to you. God didn't mess you up. God has only done good things. Don't blame God. God created everything good. He, in fact, we haven't got to it yet, but God created us to rule over creation. So let's not blame God. Let's not question God. Let's go. The problem lies in mankind messing things up sometimes it's us messing up our own lives sometimes it's the seed from uh adam's sin that generationally the sin that has been handed down then our parents or our grandparents did things to us and that that's the badness that's the pain that's the brokenness that's the problem but it's not god is not the source of our bad things he may have judged and he may have cursed because of man's sin. But the reason things got bad was not because God wanted bad things for you. And God's cruel and God's mean. God's unfair. That's not true. Man brought all that part into the problem. Does that make sense? So uh, the idea here, Moses is, is allowing us to see that God is wise. And he knows what's good for man. He's loving. He provides the things that man need. Day two, the heavens and the atmosphere. Heavens slash atmosphere would be a better way to say it. Who wants to read that? Go ahead, Junior. Firmament. Good reading. Good. All right. So it talks about this, the expanse, and that's talking about essentially the heavens 
um, has the idea of something being stretched out uh, and it is, I believe, just referring to everything above, which would be the sky, the atmosphere, solar systems, the universes, the galaxies, all of that, that God created all of that. And it said that he separated the waters. Uh, so some which this isn't talking about oceans yet. It sounds like there's some water that he took and somehow separated and brought some water up or separated the waters, it says. Uh, and it's probably the moisture in the atmosphere, probably clouds. Again, I have no way to prove any of this. This is, But I think there's a good solid. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and if someone wants to argue like not nope, the firmament was the firmament was the. Uh, you know, the liquid state of this. Okay. I, I do we really want to argue that? I don't know, but it, we want to step back and look and go like, wow, check out what God did. We all look at clouds. We got some rain today. God did that. That's amazing. God created that. If you want to argue about how he did it and all the nuances and scientific cellular stuff or whatever, that's fine. But we can see that in creation, God distinctly made that there is some moisture above where it says uh, he made the firmament, divided the water, which was under the firmament from the waters, which was above the firmament. So he took and somehow made the water. So as you're looking at clouds, God designed that on this day. <clears throat> um, again, heavens talking about the expanse or everything above the earth or the firmament. You with me? All right. I've already decided I'm going to cut this short. I'm going to cut it at the creation of man. So I don't know if we'll get to the creation of man, but I think I'm just going to cut it short there. Day three, water, land, and plants. Who wants to read that one? Nice long section. Carly? Okay, so again, here we begin to see God, the waters, the land, the plants, and it is good. And so he, well, I'll just go here. He took these body, bodies of the water that was below. Remember, it says he separated the waters. There was some below, and there's some above, which we just got done talking about in the atmosphere, the clouds or whatever it is. And then there's still some waters below. And so here with the waters below on this day, this third day, what he did was he separated from them. And I like this quote, uh, a lot of these notes on, on this page are from Constable, but uh, I like this. What we call geologic formations took place in titanic and gigantic measures at a vast excel vastly accelerated pace in a truly miraculous creative work as astounding as the rest. So if you look at some of the things you'll read in a science book, where it talks about continental drift and Pangea and all that. Some of you guys are in school, this is familiar. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But like where there's just like one clump and everything kind of like billions of years, things drifted. I like to kind of just use my imagination and picture God all of a sudden going. Just like almost with uh, 
don't want to say violence because that sounds bad, but just this massive movement that all of a sudden everything, he just goes, and if you can just picture having a video of what's happening on the earth while he's moving these large bodies of water, all the water that's below, he goes, I'm going to put all that over here into this ocean. I'm going to put this into a lake here. I'm going to put this into an ocean. I'm going to carve a river into here. All this is happening on the third day. He does all of that, and he brings plants. Uh, whoa. And water, land, and plants. So he moves all of these things around. And I think it's interesting here. Uh, again, good shows God's goodness. But then just another point here. Since God created plants yielding seed, remember in that he says he made plants with seeds, the original creation evidently had the appearance of age. He created trees with rings and Adam as an adult. The presence of seed also shows that God intended the vegetation to reproduce. So kind of, again, on that kind of nerdy side of things, I believe this passage gives the age-old answer to the question, the chicken or the egg. It was a chicken. He, pre he created trees and plants with seeds and so as we begin to think to me that does not sound like an evolution type of thing that's a god created kind of thing that he created all of this at once moved the seas moved the waters that he had he'd lifted some on the day previous and then he moved the waters around and made trees and plants with seeds this is amazing. What we're reading here in, uh, what verse are we in? We're only to verse 13 in scripture. If we just stopped there, what do we know about God? Powerful. What else? Creator. He is the creator. What'd you say? Oh, he's powerful. He's Yeah, yeah, he built a system so orderly. He's a designer. I mean, the designer. Yeah. And it's good, and it's good, and it's good. And we haven't seen the creation of man yet, but he's doing all of this and setting man up in a place where things are working awesome and they are good. And we're... So let's get into this. Sun, moon, and stars. Who wants to read? What? Uh-oh. We have... Uh... Ah. That's the noise I make when uh, I'm freaking out. There we go. Who wants to do that? Go ahead, Diana, real loud.
All right. So here we see, uh, it talks about the lights uh, being signs. It says they were put in as signs. And some people would say, oh, well, that's proof of uh, the zodiac and astrological, uh, that kind of signs. And I do think that there's something to it. I think it's been totally twisted and taken uh, and hijacked by Satan. Um, I think that one of these days, God will make clear maybe some of those things, but I think the whole astrology and all that is a, a tool of Satan. Um, but we can't argue that the signs, the stars are signs of God's awesomeness. Many of you have been camping or you look up and even someone who does not know God, they look at that and they're like, wow. And it points to God. The stars point us to God. Um, again, another one of those nerdy things. Creationists have proposed several solutions to the problem of how light from stars that are millions of light years away could get to Adam if the universe was only days old. One solid explanation is God created the sun, moon, and stars also with the appearance of age, just as he did was talking about before. Because someone could say, well, if it was billions of light years away, how would they have seen the stars? Well, just like he could create a fully grown plant that's already bearing seeds, he could bring that light to earth. Day five, fish and birds. I think we're going to wrap up here. Day five, fish and birds. Who wants to read? Go ahead, Mackenzie. Real loud. All right, good. And again, we see that it's good, it's creation. Uh, God blessed them, referring to the fish. And he says that uh, he told them, be fruitful, multiply, just as uh, Cass was talking about, that he has designed everything. And then it says there to uh, rule their world and the way that fish, you're like, how are they fish and birds going to rule their world? That's through the, I mean, you can see sometimes where a population of, fish or birds kind of begin to take over and they begin to dominate an area or region. And that's what God has designed creation to flourish. Uh, to me, this is a picture of God designing a flourishing world, not a world where things are extinct and going extinct and getting gone, but where things are flourishing. Um, and so with that, I think I want to, course so bear with me all of a sudden there we go i want us to 
just move into the uh, a time of communion here. And we didn't get through everything. God is powerful. God has good intentions for us. God is good. God is altogether different from his creation. God is completely sovereign. We haven't even got to his grace, but you can probably see glimpses of his grace already in this first few verses that we've gotten to. But what I want to talk about as we move into communion is all life originates with God. And that includes spiritual life. We haven't even gotten to the life of humans, but all life comes from God. And God is the one who makes life possible. And not only has he made physical life possible, as we're reading about, but we know in the rest of scripture that he's made spiritual life possible. And it says it even in uh, uh, John 3.16. He who believes in him, believes in Christ, should not perish, but should have everlasting life. If he can produce this kind of life, life that perpetuates, life that flourishes, life that we now need healing and regeneration, and life that can have uh, this multiplication from whether it's a seed of a plant or seed of animals, whatever it is, he is a creator of life. And we need to remember and realize he can produce spiritual life in us he can give us everlasting and eternal life he is the author of life and where is that how do we access that life believing in jesus christ so as we're going to celebrate communion communion is a time to remember what jesus christ has done for us he says do this in remembrance of me and so we need to remember that jesus christ took the payment on the cross took the punishment that we deserve and we put our trust in his work. And when we put our trust in his work, he gives us eternal life. This life we've talked about here in creation, no one's questioning it. No one's questioning if birds live. No one's questioning if plants live. No one's questioning if humankind is alive. No one questions that. We shouldn't question that just as real is the spiritual life that God can produce inside of every one of us and he produces that life that eternal life through or by our belief in jesus and one other thing i wanted to look at says for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of god all of creation is a gift of god adam and eve didn't work for anything they have we don't work for the salvation we have we don't work for the spiritual life we have. We are his workmanship. Just like all these things we read about are God's workmanship. Being new. Being spiritually alive. Being a saved person. Being a believer. Is a work of God. And God did all this. It says he prepared beforehand. He's the great planner. So as we celebrate communion. I just ask you to think about God and creation and his power and his life-giving and his goodness and think about the cross of Jesus Christ. His power, his life-giving goodness is seen in the cross as much as it is in creation. So we look at God's creation and how amazing he worked there and we look at what Jesus Christ did on the cross 
He did just as, just as an amazing work through the cross for us all that he did through providing us with the sun and moon and clouds and stars. The cross is his provision out of love to us.